Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective. I haven't hit the menu button yet, so we're going to do the intro. Perfect podcasting. We're brought to you by Heavy On Sports. My name's Adam Taylor. I'm joined by my usual compadre, Mr. Keith Smith, and we're here to bring you all of the pre-playoff kind of conversations that we need to be having. Before we get into that, as usual, Keith, I need to check. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Good. I, uh, I'm i not rocking Celtics. I'm wearing Supersonics throwback today. Yeah. For the show. But it's uh, it's still green, so it all counts. And I have a Patriots hat on, so we're, 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 we're covered. We're, we're covered with the uh, New England and Boston of it all and the colors. So I th- think we're good. Yeah, man, it's uh, regular season's over. We're, we're 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 to the good stuff <laughs> it's been a grind man 82 games i said this i don't know if i said it to you or someone else but when you write that first article after off game one and you're like yo okay so game one's in the books 81 more to go it feels like there's just a mountain of work ahead of you <laughs> and then you get to like here so we're just before the play or the playoffs for the celtics and you're like that went fast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's periods when you get into January and then Feb- February into like the middle of March where it's like the playoffs are never going to get here. And then they get here and it's like, oh my gosh, they're here now. And like, you know, it's just, you know, for, for me in my world, it's like the playoffs are here. That's a whole thing. And then I've got a million off season things to prep and prepare for. So it's like, you know, living in two separate worlds at once, but you know what? Those are all, you know, super first, first, first world problems. Like it's, you know, that's the worst thing I get going on in life. Things are pretty, pretty good. Yeah. I think that for me, I don't have that off season stress as much, but I kind of run into it during the play. um, Sorry, the summer league tournament, right. When I'm like, Right, who's added what? Who's going where? And <laughs> yeah. you probably have that too. Uh, you you do a lot more coverage than I do, and I don't know how you keep up. I think that we should just dive in. Everybody that's tuning in live, anybody that's listening, they're going to have a couple of things on their mind. And the first one being, and I know we touched on this ad nauseum over the last two or three episodes, and I really like that saying, so I'm using it a lot lately. But it's, who the hell are the Celtics going to play? They've got one of two options. It's Now we know for sure it's one of two options. It's Miami or Atlanta. I'd prefer them to face Atlanta. They're more than likely going to face Miami. What are you? How are you feeling for those two teams? As you're more, you covered a whole league. How are you feeling for them coming into the playing tournament? Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, for those two teams, I, I feel like it will probably be Miami as well. They've done a really good job with Trey Young. Uh, over the years, it's been, um, you know, even go back to last season's playoffs, Young just can't seem to get anything going a- against them. So I think that's a, I feel pretty confident it'll be Miami. But in anytime you're in a single game, even though this one's kind of pseudo single game because you could still win the second game and get in, it's, and you have a guy like Trey Young on the other side, if he gets hot and goes for 50, all of a sudden the Hawks may win, right? So it's, it, it's a thing. Now, for the Celtics, the Celtics handled the Hawks with relative ease this year. I mean, they put up a lot of points on them, even if we throw out the last game because there was a bunch of backups playing on both sides. Boston still, you know, did you know handled their business, I guess is the best way to put it against against the Hawks. So I feel pretty good if they get the Hawks, uh, they're going to get through. I'm not also overly scared if they have to play Miami. I know people get you know, worked up about that and they did split this the regular season series two two. But I, I don't 
I don't know, man. I, I think you know if they I'll go back to something I said on the last show. If they are the team we think they are, then the Celtics should get through. But I think Miami will beat Atlanta. But I'm excited to see tonight and get a little bit more of a look of all right, what is Miami's playoff rotation? How much does Kyle Lowry play? How much does Kevin Love play? Are they going to run two bigs a lot? Are they going to play four smalls around Bam and try to you know, get Jimmy Butler on the move and those kind of things? And and that starts, even though it's one game potentially, you'll start to get at least a little bit of a snippet of the sample size out of this one. A question I've been asking myself probably over the last 48 hours, is Miami's roster more designed for playoff success than it is regular season right if you take away the the additional transition opportunities that you get in the mm-hmm. regular season you start adding in the schemes and the change like the the counteracting what other coaches are doing over seven games figuring out how to guard guys how, where your advantages are and then you look at the way miami's roster's built and it does have a lot of old legs it does have a lot of legs that are going to tire easily but it also has a bunch of experience and guys that just refuse to know when they've lost, right? And you can say something similar about the Kings where they've came into the season and they're just too young to know that they shouldn't be good for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. Yeah. And I just think like, could the heat, could that give the heat kind of like the underdog label where they, they believe they're better than what they are because they feel like the playoffs is where they're going to excel. Yeah, I think there's definitely some some truth in that. And and I think, you know, whether it's roster construction or just the age of a lot of the players on the roster, or if not the age, the miles that some of those players have on them. I think it's it's um important to remember, right? We've all because we're close to it as Celtics guys, we've talked a lot about Boston's played a lot of basketball you know, over the last you know four or five years. The Heat have been right there too, right? Like they, they went to the East Finals last year, the finals in 2020. Like they've played a ton, ton too, and played physical series and all those sort of things. And they've done it with some older guys than, than the Celtics have, especially over the last couple of seasons. So it is, I, I think there's some truth to that though, where it is, you know, in the regular season, you've got back-to-backs you've got three and four nights scenarios and those kind of things in the playoffs those things don't don't exist you know there's no back-to-backs there's none of that stuff so yeah for guys like jimmy butler kyle lowry kevin love even someone like bam Adebayo, who's had to do a lot of heavy lifting this year as quite often the only viable center on the miami roster it's you know this is probably a slight relief for him as well as we get into this postseason so there's definitely some truth in that i think I also believe that they're more built for pressure in the rim. Obviously, they don't have a ton of perimeter. And the playoffs just feel like more of a time where you do try and get downhill more than just kind of sit around the perimeter. And I have some thoughts on that in a moment once we move on to the Celtics. In fact, let's do that now. So we're moving on to the Celtics, one, and I'll continue that thought. And it was a thought that I got from reading a Bleach Report article from Moda Kill, who is unquestionably one of the best X's and O's guys in NBA media. He's also one of the nicest people. Yeah, multiple teams. Um, He's also just one of the nicest guys you're going to come across. He's the best. I love Mo. He's great. He really is. He's a genuine dude. Uh, But in the article, he it was kind of like one thing that each team needs to be, you know, the Bleach Report style that need to be concerned Mm -hmm. about. And for Celtics, he put living and dying by the free. And I know that myself and you have had conversations about this on this show. We've probably had a million of those conversations across social media as well. 
is the <laughs> Tatum wants in on this? Yeah, one. <laughs> hey, buddy. Come is on, the Paul. um <laughs> yeah, there he is chilling. <laughs> is the three-point line going to be an issue for the Celtics in a different environment, in a playoff environment where there is more two-point opportunities, where teams do start to shut up the perimeter a little bit more and kind of try and funnel you towards where their big is or where their wing defenders are that are going to pinch? Yeah, I I, I think there's definitely something to, to that. I think um, you will have spots in, in playoff games, just especially if it's Miami. And, and that's not to downgrade Quinn Snyder and the Hawks at all, but just you know Eric Spolster is going to have something planned that the Celtics haven't seen or some some look where it looks like, you know, wow, it looks like they're in a 2-3. So, oh, gosh, it's actually you know a 2-1-2 matchup zone or something odd, right? Because that's just what he does. And, and some of that's grown out of they're, they're not – great individual defenders, right? They they almost always have one or two attack points on the floor at all times. And it's like, so they scheme around it with really good team defense uh, there. So I think that is going to be a challenge. They're going to force the Celtics into some stuff if they play um, where, you know, or if they move on to play Milwaukee, either team, um, they, they will force them into some things where I think they're maybe a little more uncomfortable. And I think the heat, particularly are one of the teams that can do that more so than it sounds weird because they're nowhere near the level of team of Milwaukee or Philadelphia, but I think they can force Boston out of their comfort zones easier than Milwaukee or Philly. Milwaukee plays a very uh, kind of rigid style of defense. And then Philly is, is kind of similar to Milwaukee in the way they defend a lot of actions because of, Embiid and Lopez being similar type of defensive players. So so I think you're in a spot where, yeah, we could definitely see uh, Miami you know, press Boston into some places where it's a little uncomfortable. And I, now I think if you're the Celtics, this is where you need to focus. And I think we saw some level of refocus as the season went along on get downhill, get to the rim, Tatum, Brown, they should probably shoot close to 10 free throws per game each in a series against Miami. They don't have the perimeter defenders who can hold them. And then you're really talking Bam Adebayo and not a whole heck of a lot else on the interior to defend. So what you can't do is, and this is you know I'm now into things you and I harp on, you can't just stand out there at the arc like a college team and just swing the ball around and pass, 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 pass. You gotta There's got to be purposeful movement and passing against Miami if you're going to beat them. And here's a stat that I've got. Just because we're talking about you need to pressure the rim more, you can't just stand there, you need to be cutting. The Celtics finished 25th in the league for rim attempts this year, for rim frequency, 29.7%. They finished 27th in the league for a short mid-range, which I like to call the floater area. I don't understand why we don't just rename that to floater (laughs) area. It just makes more sense. I just call it paint. Like, you know, yeah. I, I separate paint and rim because it's all the same thing. But yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I mean, long yeah. mid range is free throw extended out to the per- yep. to the perimeter, and then you've got mid range in total. They're twenty eighth, so that's fine. I'm okay with the mid range attempts because it's very much player based, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want Peyton Pritchard shooting pull up mid range shots when he's contested, mm-hmm. but you do not care if Jalen Brown is shooting pull up mid range shots when he's contested. It all goes on. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's. He's DeMar DeRozan with athleticism at this point. Like, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> yeah. with that. Um, it's the rim attempts that are going to need to change, uh, especially if we look at the playoff stats for last year. 
They show, So the Celtics were 22nd in rim frequency last season coming into the playoffs, but they finished, they were 13th in the playoffs for rim frequency. So there was a jump, but again, it's a smaller pool of teams, so you're still not exactly towards the top end. <laughs> um, I just think that when you're playing, especially against Philadelphia, because of where you're going to have Embiid, and if you're trying to play five out to pull Embiid away, you're going to want to increase that room frequency to punish Embiid stepping out of the paint mm-hmm. and trying to defend up on the perimeter. Adebayo is a bit different though, right? Because he's more switchable, he's more versatile, his hip movements are really good, he can change, um, he, his lateral movement's good, he can change direction quickly. But you still and want to keep him honest. They don't always do a lot of switching him either. Sometimes they'll do a lot of jump up to the level of the ball, you know, hedge, and then recover. Right. There's a lot. They, they vary how they use him. And I think that's smart, right? Because it doesn't put you in a spot where you're seeing the same thing over and over and over again. Because NBA teams, no matter what, if you show them the same look defensively every trip, they're going to beat it. Like they're going to find. Then it just becomes did the shots go in or not. Right. It's it, we, we get stuck a lot on did you beat the defense? If you scored, and that's true. I mean, that's the name of the game, right? Is to put points up. But a portion of it is also like, did you generate a good shot? If you generated a good shot, you probably beat the defense and you just missed. Now, you could say, like, like to your point, like, well, what they did was they forced Peyton Pritchard to take, you know, pull up contested, you know, mid rangers or Marcus Smart took contested mid range shots or whatever it is. Like, that's what you want teams taking. And we forced it to the right guys to shoot or whatever. That's that's true too. And that becomes more of a thing in the playoffs because you can design your defense to do that. But yeah, that's where I think what you have to be able to do is, and this is where I think the Celtics will be okay because of the way Rob and Al can pass. I think what you're going to see is maybe it's less rim attacks off the dribble, but more rim attacks off cuts and off ball actions designed to get somebody into the paint for a good look. Because I think you can slip those guys in, especially if the bigs pulled out in behind the defense and make a play that way. I want to touch on Rob's passing actually, because I've just wrote a thesis on this. Um, And by thesis, I mean very, very, very long article that started off as an opinion piece and turned into a full X's and O's dive. Um, So if you want to read that, follow me on socials, you'll see that it's not out yet for probably another 30 minutes, 45 minutes till that drops. But the premise of the article and the entire premise of the conversation I have around Rob at the moment is very much based on his value in a five-out offense. Because as we've said before, it's very hard to play a five-out offense with a non-shooting big man. Mm-hmm. teams sag off teams double off him they can load up on tatum load up on brown they can do a bunch of different things defensively that really nullify rob's effectiveness on the offense unless you go four out one in and have rob down on the dunker spot but then your spacing isn't as ideal as what it could be with an al horford at the five now in my opinion rob's passing ability is a way to alleviate teams from sagging half him punish them even and being able to use him as an initiator in handoffs, screening actions, uh, asking him to make reads, whether that be in um, initial reads, secondary reads, tertiary reads, and then using his role gravity to kind of pressure the rim that way. That, to me, is going to be how the Celtics utilize him for the playoffs and hopefully moving forward because, again, it's going to take off the pressure on his knees from just jumping all the time for dunks and lobs. And then he can use that extra explosiveness to challenge on the offensive glass for secondary points, secondary chances, kick, and then, you know, his volleyball hits that he likes to do because 
Apparently, he spends a lot of time on the beach. Who knew? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I just want to see what your thoughts are there, whether you can see Rob being given the, the opportunity to start threading the needle a little, little bit more, be the new Tom Brady for Boston type thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to go quite that far with the Tom Brady comps, but I appreciate it. Um, no, but he is, I think with Rob, what's what the key is is, to your point, you can't just put him in the dunker spot all all game because it messes up your spacing. And then the then the defense just knows where he's going to be, and they can account for that in a lot of different ways, right? Because even if he's even if it's not a big, you just get somebody in front of him, and then he's just going to have to jump over that person, and that's going to cause a mess too. So I think the key is involve him when he's on the floor and not just as a drop-off option at the rim. It is, you know, whether it's use him as a screener, um, and he's come miles as a screener. Even this year, he's better than he was a year ago. And last year, he took just jumped up about 20 levels as a screener. The other thing I think to your point is, and we saw this really over the last probably about two, three weeks worth of games, was – Involving him as the primary playmaker in an action where it is they ran more fake DHOs where it was designed around. All right, now we've shown you the DHO. Now we're going to show you. Rob does that thing where he's just get that, you know, just palms the ball with ease. He's got the long arm. I'm even off camera here, and that's how short my wingspan is. But, right, he's just kind of waving the ball around, fakes it, and then he zips the pass right past the big as the other guy comes, and he's really good at picking up the backdoor cuts to the guys who are cutting off ball, the guys who are coming off those um, you know, uh, cross-screen actions and those kind of things. So I think that's one of the things you can do with him there, or just use him as more of a straight playmaker as far as you get it up, you pitch it to him at the top of the key, and you're running everything off him, whether it's pin downs or whatever, because he's a good decision maker. And I think sometimes – I like him better in that spot because when you get him on the short roll and those kind of things, he's just a hot potato passer, right? Like it's, I got to get it. I got to get it out of my hands very quickly. And that doesn't always lead to something because sometimes it's a kick out to nothing, right? It's like you threw it out to the arc and no one's there. So it's, I, I was super encouraged in his last game. He actually caught one and finished on the roll instead of kicking it out where he probably could have. I was like, all right, here we go. Like that's good to see because most of his finishes come, they go off lobs or or dump off passes or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited to see how they incorporate him in because I think the other thing too is although he's not going to stretch the big out like the way Horford or even Grant Williams will, even to some extent Blake Griffin, he can pass just as good as any of those guys. I think those will be Boston's four primary bigs in the playoffs, and that's a key for them is you can run all the same stuff with all four of them because they can all pass. They can all take a dribble or two and flow into a handoff action, which flows into a, you know, a roll to the rim or whatever it may be. And I think that's going to be really important for the Celtics as well. It's just vary that offense, especially if you play, I don't want to make it all about the heat because the more we do that, it'll be the Hawks and it'll be, like, yeah. <laughs> but if it is the heat, you just, you have to keep Bam out of bio kind of on his toes and engaged and doing a lot of different things out there versus, again, showing the same kind of look over and over because then the Heat will just figure it out and they'll be like, all right, here's how we're going to defend it. Now it's on you to do something different. I liked as well when that game you just referred to, so Rob's last game, Missoula spoke about intentionality and finishing. 
because mm-hmm. we'd seen Rob actually go to a post up and yeah. finish. He, he awesome. went into post moves. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but somehow I don't know if you've ever watched Dragon Ball Z. Um, have you ever watched Dragon? No, so I haven't. A... No, I'm, I'm I'm enough older than you. I think that I missed <laughs> that trend. Oh, you missed out, man. You missed I, out I, big I, time. Um, they've got a thing there called the in this series called the hyperbolic time chamber, and it's where the main character goes to just rapidly improve in a short space of time. It defies time, and you have to die to even get it. It's a whole thing, but <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like Rob's done that, but backwards, right? Because all of a sudden, it's not the first time we've seen him post a guy up. It's the first time we've seen him go to a finish move from there but we have seen him look to create out of there, actually be like a low post or mid post DHO facilitator. And that's just a growth in his game. And I do feel like he's looking for ways to impact winning with less impact on his actual body, which could provide additional longevity, which is the biggest gripe about him at the moment. Right. If they can keep him going, do you think he can make it through the playoffs? Yeah, I think so. I, I I think again, no back to backs. You know, they're the the Celtics are coming in. I'm going to knock on wood here. Very healthy. You know, as healthy as they've been all year. Uh, we'll see with Jalen Brown with the cut on his hand, what that you know amounts to. But as you know, with Rob, I think it's really important that you're going to get him out there doing different stuff. To your point, you know, it's I, I always go back to they. I forget who it was who first said it, but it's like your knees only have so many jumps in them, right? So like. You know, but where, where are you going off of the those things? And yeah, seeing him do a little bit, you know, and on post ups and you know, just uh, things that aren't catching lobs, catching dump offs, and scoring off offensive rebounds, those are all really exciting things because I think there's a lot of stuff there to to unlock. Now, I don't know how much in a playoff series we're gonna see Rob exploring the studio space of like all right, a turn and face from 15 feet as what you know, or a backing down and into a turnaround or anything like that, but I think. These are all just baby step things that we're going to see keep coming. And what I think is important, at least if he has the ability to, hey, I'll take a couple of dribbles and mash you into the post and score. That's where as they go to two big lineups, it doesn't, you're not going to see teams get away with, hey, uh, you know, I'll bring it back to Miami. Hey, Max Struess, just keep your body between him and the rim because that's all we really need you to do in this situation. If you can throw it to Rob and Rob can take a dribble, put a shoulder into him and put him in the goal then that's great, right? Then that's a huge thing that that that's going to be massive, um, you know, for, for the Celtics and for Rob in general, just because it, it opens up a lot more lineup versatility you can go to. I'd like to see some double big lineups with Rob and Grant more. I yeah. think that's one. Because in my eyes, if Grant does re-sign, and this is a d- discussion we'll have further down the line, we don't need to have a Grant free agency discussion right now. But if Grant does re-sign, that's projects as like a future starting like duo for me forward and center so i'd like to see that more especially in certain circumstances in the first round if you are trying to stretch out what miami can do defensively and you are trying to counter what they do and that kind of brings me on to the last point that i want to touch on and i've left enough time to do this because i feel like this one could be a deal we're either going to get through it in five minutes or we're going to get through it in 15 and i'm just not sure which way (laughs) it's going to go i'm betting the over (laughs) so we've got grant williams versus sam hauser now the discussion point is and i've seen it floated around i've been involved in conversations about this on other podcasts Grant Williams is your defensive versatility in in a nutshell. He's a free and D guy that can give you real good versatility on some of the better bigs and better forwards in the NBA. Sam Hauser, on the other hand, 
is an elite three-point shooter. He's a shot maker. He's the guy that you put on the floor when you just need buckets. And a good thing with Sam is when he is on the floor, he, he you inadvertently take teams out of their offense because they begin to hunt for him and they they start to stagnate through no fault of their own. It's just gotta attack Sam Hauser, gotta attack Sam Hauser. Never works out that way. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and then they fail. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when we're coming into Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, and most likely, in my eyes, because I want the revenge, Golden State, how do you feel the the battle there is going to be? Do you see Hauser getting minutes over Grant in certain matchups, in certain situations? Maybe. Uh, and, and I know that's not a real answer, and I'm kind of riding the fence um, on this, but, but, but I think that is the real answer, is I think there are spots where you can play them. If, if it's Miami or Atlanta, there are guys, and we just said it, right? Teams fail repeatedly at targeting Sam Hauser, but I'm also not going to go as far as some people like, maybe Sam Hauser is actually a good defender. I, I don't know that that's true, right? Because we have seen some teams go at him with success at times. I think it's just, it's when it's, hey, we're going to have our best offensive player target him. Well, guess what? The that usually favors the offense no matter who's defending him. I think it's when it's, hey, we're going to our fourth best offensive player on the floor to try to target Sam Hauser. Well, that's probably going to not go great for you. So I think in the playoffs, you would see, like, let's say it's Miami, but Hauser on the floor. He's probably end up guarding Jimmy Butler some off of switches and the like. And that's probably not going to go great, right? But if you put him on Max Struess or uh, Duncan Robinson, if he's out there, or Caleb Martin, or let's say um, even Tyler Hero at times, I think Sam's probably fine. He probably holds up okay and does his thing. I think what it will ultimately come down to is, is there room in the rotation? So Miami, in the first round, if that's the way it goes, they tend to go on their bench to a lot of two big lineups or two big-ish lineups. That's where Grant can get in the game, right? Because you can, can go there. And I've seen a lot of people kind of, you know, they're, they're throwing dirt on Grant too early. It's like, well, he's out. It's, Hauser's going to be the guy. Or, you know, let's just play Blake Griffin. I'm forgetting, like, Grant's done really well against Bam Adebayo over the course of going all the way back to their high school days. He's had a lot of success against Bam Adebayo. He's done as well as anybody can outside of Al Horford, who's great on him, against Joel Embiid. He's another guy you can put on Giannis at times and say, hey, just try to stay in front of him. Draw a charge. You'll make him work. That's where Grant's value comes in. That's just going to be different from Hauser. I tend to think I'm not as convinced Missoula's going to cut it to an eight-man rotation. I think he may play nine. He played nine a lot of the year, and I think he may just play nine. And it's with Hauser, you generally kind of know pretty quick. All right, he's got it. He's, he's hitting his shots. He looks good. And it may be one of those, you see him pop in there kind of towards the end of the first quarter when Brown or Tatum goes out and then he's out there. He's, he's playing, you know, that, that stretch of, you know, three to six minutes that bridges the two quarters. If he makes a couple shots, he probably plays in the second half. If he doesn't, he probably doesn't. You move along. That's probably how I think this is going to go down. Cause I think, you know, we all know, I think he's going to stick with the Horford Tatum Brown white smart group to start. We know Rob and Brogdon are going to play off the bench. Then I don't think it's as cut and dry as is it Grant or is it Hauser. I think it might be both. And I think if Grant loses minutes to anybody, it may be Blake Griffin, where it's I think they kind of like what they've seen out of Blake Griffin. And it may be hey, we need to go a little bit bigger, you know, just a little bit more um, 
you know, interior defense, which is what Blake gives them slightly more of, and they just kind of go that way. But I, I, there's plenty of room, I think, for both of them in there. If it comes down to one or the other, it's just a matchup play. That's what it'll be. I'm going to be honest. I completely agree. I, be, I genuinely believe matchups are going to dictate how much Grant over Hauser or Hauser over Grant. And I also agree that you can see within five minutes whether or not Hauser's got it going. Mm-hmm. What I would like to put out into the universe is there is nothing more I would like than a Sam Hauser game against Miami. So a Miami type <laughs> pickup is what beats Miami, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you, I remember I've said this a bunch, but I just want to put this out into the universe one last time. There was a point in time where Miami just turned everything they touched into gold. Every undrafted rookie they found, every late second round pick, they do, and they become heralded as this Miami culture, the best development team in the NBA, and yada. And now we're talking about two guys in Grant and Sam. Grant was a late first round pick. There's a lot of discussion on his value, and that's good because it means that he's developed to a point where people care about what his value is, whether they're detractors or not. It makes no difference. And we're talking about a guy in Sam Hauser who went undrafted, who turned down the chance to play for Miami, went through the Boston Celtics G League system, um, graduated, I guess, into the NBA, is on pennies, and he's capable of just swinging momentum in a game coming off the bench and apparently can dunk while holding guys off with his offhand. I don't know where that came from, but um, that left that that offhand dunk was beautiful. So I, I think that while we are discussing who's going to get minutes and who's going to miss out or the the internal competition those two probably have with each other and with Blake, I I think we need to kind of appreciate the fact that these guys are both homegrown, developed, and that only encourages future high-level undrafted guys, if there's such a thing, to consider Boston as a landing spot. So that was something I just wanted to put out there and see whether you believe that kind of influences. And even like free agents, high-level free agents, do they take that type of thing into consideration? Yeah, the, the high-level guys, I, I don't think quite as much. I don't think that's necessarily a thing because I think for them it's, all right, the money's probably going to be equal everywhere. We're pretty close. So then it becomes, can I win? You know, can I win? It is a place I want to live, right? Like that's just, you know, and, and the – this is a place I want to live and and I love Boston, right? That's always home for me, but it's, it's a, not a great place to live for about, you know, four to six months a year when it's cold and snowy and gray, it's like, ugh, you know, this again. So, so that part of it, I get taxes are also high. It's also very expensive to live there and all that stuff. But I think for guys who may be coming in and are, uh, yeah, when you get into that second round and it's like, all right, I guess I'm not going to get picked, and it becomes, well, where's a spot? First thing you look at is, our right, what does the roster look like, right? Is there a real chance for me to either get a two-way or a standard roster spot? So then that becomes a spot where I think the Celtics can start to stand out a little bit because, hey, we have developed some guys and we've pushed them in because for a while they hadn't, right? They hadn't really hit on, on anybody. Now you've got a couple guys that are coming through the system that you feel pretty good about. So, yeah, I, I think there's a chance that matters yeah and it's like you know i mean i go back to that bubble series it was like man like why can't we find a duncan robinson right that was like the most number one refrain and then it was like we had max struce like how did like did you know to keep taco we let max struce go like you know what happened there and all that stuff and now i think everybody's like hey we have sam hauser and you know what he's just as good as those guys and he makes you know a couple million dollars a year as opposed to, you know, Robinson who's now on, 
what's a pretty bad contract. And you know, Struess, who's who's you know gonna be a free agent, is probably gonna get paid, you know, at least decently well uh this coming summer, also. So yeah, I I'm with you on the Hauser part of it. I think think big part of it, big part of the team, and he's gonna have his moments in the playoffs, right? There's gonna be times when it's like, man, you know what we need? We need somebody to come in and hit a few shots here. And really, if you're the Celtics, there's two choices. It's either Sam Hauser or it's Peyton Pritchard. And Peyton Pritchard, I'm not going to say, won't emerge at some point in the playoffs. If it's like, man, we're down 15. It's midway through the third quarter. We're going to make one more run at this. Let's see what we got in us. There's a good chance that's going to be Peyton Pritchard like being like, all right, hey, get, get us going here. See if you can kind of lead us through. So, yeah, it's their depth now is back to looking like what it looked like in October and November where it's like, Holy crap, there's not even minutes for these guys. We're right back to that point where it's like, there's legitimate players, whether Pritchard, Mascala, Cornette, who have been key viable rotation players for the Celtics at various points this season. that probably just aren't going to see very many minutes in the postseason. And that's just going to be the way it is. I mean, every team goes through that. And when you're towards the back end of a, a regular season rotation, I do believe part of them understands that, you know, sure. when we get there, we're not going to see much floor time because it is what it is. And that's probably, or I'd expect that to be verbalized to them um, during this period now, right? We've ended the regular season. Our rotations are on paper are set. Obviously, they're fluid. But now we can start verbalizing, like, hey, you're going to be on the bench more than you're going to be on the court. Mm-hmm. And then you go and tell Grant Williams, like, hey, you're going to be on the court until you... A, do something stupid with the referees. B, do something stupid with somebody else. Or C, your shots aren't falling, at which point we're going to go with Blake or we're going to go with Sam, depending on what the matchup dictates. Mm -hmm. I do have one last question, which I didn't pass to you, and it's only come to me because I've always, I've been thinking about this. Generally, veteran minimum guys are with a team for one year. It's not, they don't really stick around long term because, hey, they're old, you know? Um, With Blake, the amount of impact he's had, not on, not just on the floor, but in terms of the fan base loves him, the coaching staff loves him, the players love him. Does Is there a world where you can see him sticking after this season? Because I want him around. Yeah, I think so. I, I think what we're going to see is, let's see how the season finishes. If the Celtics win the title, I think there's a chance that, that Blake just retires and says, you know, this I did it right. I, I achieved the last thing I wanted to achieve, and now I'm I'm calling it a career. And that could be the way it goes, or it could be, hey, I want to run it back, and you know, I'll be back one more year. And there, I think, very happy to bring him back on a veteran minimum deal because, for all that you want to leave one of those spots ideally open for your project kind of guy, like let's see if like Hauser, right? Let's get somebody in here and see if we they can hit on this. We're gonna see some shuffling go on at the back end of this Celtics roster. No, no matter how the season ends, because yeah. what's gonna happen is I don't think Peyton Pritchard's gonna be here next year. I think they're gonna try to take care of him and get him somewhere where all right, you can play because it's just not gonna happen with the Celtics, right? We we know this, you know, just they they've too many other guys in front of him. So I think they're gonna say, hey, let's get him somewhere while all right, we're going to turn that into either filling a need or a future asset that then we can use however we use that down the line. But when it comes to Blake, yeah, I think so, because I think Blake knows at this point in his career he's a minimum guy no matter where he plays. So might as well be somewhere where he's happy and having a good time and and he's you know really rapidly becoming beloved. So, yeah, and I think you're see, seeing him. We've seen it throughout the regular season. 
you're going to see it in the playoffs. He's putting it, his, everything he has into this. Like he is trying to win a championship. So if there's a 50-50 ball, it might as well be, you know, a 90-10 ball with Blake Griffin's involved because he's going to go get it. So, yeah, I think we're in a spot where we're just going to see him really kind of go all out. And then it'll probably be, let's see how the season ends and we decide from there. Now, anyone that's new to this show, please understand that the next statement I make is going to be sarcastic and, and please do not come for me. If Blake Griffin wins a championship and retires, I want Vince Carter out of retirement and on the Celtic trust the <laughs> next season because that is the one dude who it bothers me no end didn't get to win a chip despite being on countless teams as the vet trying to <laughs> win a chip. Yeah, could be. I mean, for me, my, my guy would be, let's see if uh, – He's he's not coaching right now because he got got let go. Let's let's get Patrick Ewing back in and bring him home to Boston. Yeah, dude. At the end of the bench. Yeah, he's probably got thirty seconds of good basketball left in him as a player. So let's per go. game or just period? I think probably period at this point. That's fine. That's right? all you need, right? Yeah, just that one game. Yeah, yeah hit one <laughs> jumper. You know, hit that yeah, one one top of the key jumper is you know for Patrick, and then then we'll call it good. So yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm with you, man. It's uh, but Blake has been. I I really expected nothing. I honestly I think I, I we weren't doing the show at the time, but I know I said it. Celtics blog like he may not even make it till Christmas on this team. Like it wouldn't surprise me if they just you know, waved him to move on. But he's been great. You know he's been great, and the guys. This is the value too of the locker room guy, right? Of like this yeah. is you know, somebody who this is another guy along with Al that can put put an arm around a shoulder of Tatum or Brown or one of the younger guys and say like. All right, hey, it's okay. We got this. Like, like we're we're, we're going to be all right, you know, and and just kind of back them away. And we've seen them do that quite a bit, you know, this year where it's, you know, somebody wants to go against the rest. I mean, he did with Smart, uh, where he just kind of like, you know, all right, like let's go. And then then there was the other game where Smart recently got ejected, where you could tell Blake Griffin was like, all right, man, you need to get yourself tossed. Go ahead. Like, I'm not going to get. I'm 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 not going to hold you back because he's been there too. So yeah, it's a you know ter- terrific signing. I mean, just. You know, the depth of this roster just with viable NBA players is just, it really is remarkable that, you know, we're down to a no knock on him and he's only been with the team for like a week. But Justin Champagne is the only guy that's on the playoff roster. And you look at it and it's like, yeah, I, he's the only guy where it's like, if he's playing something either went really, really well or went really, really wrong. Everybody else, it's like, yeah, I can see a reason why they would be out there playing meaningful minutes in a real game yeah that's fair that and that speaks volumes to what brad stevens done since mm-hmm. taking over but that's an episode in itself that i'm definitely going to hold until the end of the postseason because we're going to need content so if we use it all now <laughs> what we're going to do with that yeah, being said everybody uh i'm completely out of discussion points until we know who they're facing at which point we can do a deep dive and i think that's the plan yeah. is to kind of dive a bit deeper onto to play well, no, tonight because we record yeah. this on Tuesday. That's the, the one benefit to being the two seed is you find out at least a couple days early compared to the one seed. You know, everything else is good. And that's just a, a quick soapbox moment. I wouldn't mind seeing the NBA change that and let the let the one seed pick. You know, do they want the you know, let them pick? You know, do, do they want the winner of the seven eight game or do they want to wait and get, give it another couple days? Because I think there's times they may like, for example, I think 
Yo, Milwaukee would be very oh it's Atlanta yes please we'll take them and then we'll <laughs> let it go you know the other way so so we'll see but yeah I know uh I think you know Celtics fans are probably going to be major Hawks fans tonight right everybody's you know pr- pr- pretty big Hawks fan here on Tuesday but yeah by the time we record again we'll know and guess what we are going to go deep 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 into all the things you'll need to know about the first round series until then Everybody have a good week. Enjoy the game tonight. It might not be a Celtics game, but it might as well be. Catch everybody soon.